Good morning. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today on Healthy Options is Dr. Judy Valentine. Dr. Judy Valentine holds a doctorate in nutrition science and is certified as a clinical nutritional analyst and a certified nutritional consultant. She also has received training as a specialist in metabolic typing. For more than 20 years, Dr. Valentine has guided each of her clients towards balance and vitality by recommending an ideal diet and supplement regime, and by teaching about damaging ingredients in foods and toxins in the environment. Her focus is on alternative approaches to optimizing health, increasing energy levels, and weight management. Dr. Valentine has given lectures and taught holistic nutrition in a wide range of settings, including colleges, medical centers, government agencies, and nationally known businesses. Here in Midcoast, Maine, she is a member of Destination Wellness and has presented talks on holistic nutrition. Along with Dr. Janet Cunningham, she published Weight Solutions, the new Body-Mind-Spirit Approach, which is a hands-on nutrition primer and weight loss program. She currently works at Kennebec Pharmacy as a clinical nutrition specialist, offering assistance with supplements and general nutrition. Dr. Valentine is here with us today to talk about some healthy options, nutrition-wise, especially at this time of the year as winter approaches, and we need to muster our energy and spirit. Welcome to Healthy Options and WERU, Dr. Judy Valentine. Thank you, Rhonda. Absolutely. So glad you're here. So... I think the first thing that I'd like to talk about is what exactly do we need? What kind of nutritional, what is the nutrition that we need to, to thrive and to be, to be healthy? What, what is it that, uh, that we need to do, not to do, but what, the, what are the, the materials that we need to be healthy? We need a variety of nutrients, but I like to approach it this way. It's, it's a combination of things. So if you had a sheet of paper, you would draw a line down the center. And on one side, you would say, what are the micronutrients that we need to thrive to deal with stress year-round, not just during stressful times? And on the other side of the paper, we need to look at what should we avoid in our diets that take away from our body's ability to deal with stress, to maintain healthy cells. So it's a two-prong plan, really. So maybe you can name some of the, what, you know, we know about proteins and carbohydrates, but what, what does that really mean in, in terms of our body and what's, what's happening? Well, the body needs a balance of proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. And the key here is what is the quality, how qualitative are these macronutrients? So the, the three, protein, fat, carbohydrates, are considered the macronutrients. And then the, the chemical compounds within those foods, vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, we call micronutrients. So I'll be using those terms. So the macronutrients, we need a balance. And in my book, and just over the years of observing thousands, really, of, of clients, I like a balance of 40-30-30, 40% quality carbohydrates, 30% um, healthy fat, and 30% um, protein. And, of course, the quality of those foods really determines the quality of our cells. So I like to use the computer term garbage in, garbage out. So <laughs> when you put the garbage in, the cell quality 
de- degrades. And the ability of our cells, the cells are really, I, I just love cells, and I love the mitochondria, which are the the factories of the cells. And they determine our energy levels. The activity that goes on in the mitochondria determines our energy levels. So if we're bogging down our cells with a lot of toxic material from the foods we eat, the cells are clogged up and they can't release those toxins as readily because those cells are are like a, a small universe of taking in and releasing And so the cells are clogged and the membranes are desensitized. They can't draw in the good micronutrients. So what are we eating? I think it's really, it's it's this time of year is, is a good time to look at, particularly these stressful times. What are we eating? So if we're, we're bogging down our system with, with, toxic foods, junk foods, highly processed foods. By the way, highly processed foods are very low in micronutrients. So So none of those vitamins and minerals. Right. They've been taken away. So I like to use the example of, of a small grain of wheat. The grain of wheat, the structure of that, the inside is called the endosperm. And that's where the energy is. That's where the glucose potential glucose is, the sugar. Um, And the outside structure is the bran. And that's where a lot of the micronutrients are, the B vitamins, the minerals, trace minerals. And interestingly, those foods, the the wheat kernel, has that perfect balance of micronutrients and sugar in a way that, that allows the body to properly metabolize it when we eat it. So if you take a grain of wheat and you mill away the bran and you mill away the germ, now you're left with a high surge of, of the sugar without the proper micronutrient base that helps your body metabolize that, that food into sustainable energy that will last throughout several hours. So that brings us, you know, to another topic of glycemic balance, which we can talk about later. Well, I do want to talk about that uh, just a touch, but we will, we will talk about it. But um, the whole idea of sugar being a good thing, there are different qualities of sugar. I think we do have to talk about it. Right. We, we have to go for a talk, Judy. <laughs> because, it's key. Um, because the, this whole idea of what is a good carbohydrate and what about that Sugar, because we really, isn't that the energy of the body? Isn't it, that? Is the, it is the primary energy of the body. Yes. So when the body runs out of the blood sugar, it starts to use other, you know, uh, fuel sources. But sugar is the primary energy. And, and athletes, ha- you know, learn to balance that, okay? Um, if you're going to be running a, a, you know, a race, then, yeah, you do carbo-loading because you're going to be burning that out of the bloodstream quickly. Um, but if you're just sitting at your desk or you have a regular lifestyle like, like most of us do, we don't need that kind of a surge. What we need is a proper carbohydrate source that – I look at it like a timed-release capsule. So we eat a, a good whole grain carb, and the fiber in that grain slows the release of the sugar into the bloodstream. So let's say we have a white flour bagel and maybe some jelly on it. All of that sugar is going to go into the bloodstream quickly. And what happens is the body says, well, we don't need all that sugar in the bloodstream right now. We're not going to climb a mountain. It's not going to get burned. So the body says, okay, let's produce some insulin. And insulin is is the method by which the excess sugar is removed from the blood. So this leads to one pearl that I hope people get today for weight management over the holidays. And that is a glycemic... We can gain weight with every meal and every snack if it is not glycemically balanced. 
And that's the process. So we eat this fast-acting sugar. The sugar goes into the blood all at once. The glu- you know, it's converted into glucose. I don't need to use terms, I guess, today. The blood sugar rises. The body says, don't need all that fuel right now. Insulin is produced. Take that excess out of the bloodstream. Store it in fat cells for future energy. So we have a lot of America walking around with future energy that never really ever gets burned. So that's the magic. The magic is to glycemically balance every meal and every snack. So say you're going to have some, you know, extra things around the holidays, balance it with a protein or balance it with a fat. Have a couple of slices of avocado with, you know, uh, with something sweet, just so that you can balance that every time it goes in. Okay, let's go. This is, this is really interesting. So let's go back to that 40, what was your ratio? 40, 30, 30. 40, 30, 30. So we have carbohydrates. A good carbohydrate would be what? Whole grains. A whole grain. Sweet potato. Right. Uh, brown rice instead of white rice. Right. And some families, I'll say, my, you know, I get this response. Oh, my family will really hate brown rice. We'll start to blend. Blend in a quarter of a cup of of brown rice and over time increase the amount that you're blending in. Oh, my family really hates whole grain pasta. Blend it in. Just begin adding a little bit of whole grain pasta and and begin blending it in. And when you have pasta, make sure you have a good quality protein, beans or good quality animal protein and a healthy fat. And just look at every single meal and say, okay, what do I have here that is balancing out this carbohydrate? So what is the the 30 is protein? Protein. And which are, are you an advocate of fish, chicken? Or what, I'm an advocate of, 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 of naturally raised animal protein. I think that, that um, over the years of my practice, I found that vegans are my le- least healthy clients. Isn't that interesting? Because they don't have a sense of how to balance the protein in the body. And the body is mostly protein, as it turns out. And if we're not refueling that all of that protein activity, then um, the body degrades over time. And I have several clients now who are vegans in their, their 60s, and uh, they're wondering why their various systems are breaking down. Really? That is, you know, that is, seems counterintuitive to a lot of, uh, of our listeners. So right now, where we have people sitting in their kitchens going, what are you talking about, this Judy? This is why I brought it up. <laughs> How could that be? So what would you recommend for someone who's not eating meats? Is so that- I would recommend beans. I would recommend dairy products that come from naturally raised animals. And um, I really always try to talk my vegan clients into eating fish. Yes. And even if it's fish without a tail or fish without a face, scallops, crab, um, you know, I, I, and we do get into some philosophical discussions around that. And I, you know, I always hearken back to the American Indian of blessing the source and thanking the source. We are at the top of the food chain. Thank you for making this, this food available for me. Let's just take a moment to absorb that. Because this is really what we're discussing today. It's all about absorption and yes. nutrition. So, and then the third part, the third, the other thirty percent. The is other thirty percent, we could actually do an entire talk about, and okay. that's fats. Fats over the last, well, since the fifties, basically, since Congress approved uh, 
margarine and shortening as a mm. food, which is a basically, if you look at the chemical composition, is a, is a plastic fat. And the body does not have the enzymatic capacity to break down that fat. And at the turn of the century in the 1900s, people ate natural fats. They ate butter. They ate, you know, eggs. They ate bacon. Um, and heart disease at that point, if you look at your statistics at the turn of the century, was a low number. It was, just, it was around 13 15%. If you look at the line that going up, of the consumption of hydrogenated and partially hydrogenated oils and trans fats, and the line, the increasing line of death from cardiovascular disease, they're pretty much a parallel highway. So it's really a fascinating concept to research. And, and so finally, we have gotten some consciousness around not consuming hydrogenated oils and trans fats and consuming oils that, that are provided to us by Mother Nature, olive oil, coconut oil, um, you know, so seed oils, and, and, and learning that you know, those that are healthy to cook with, olive oil, coconut oil, can stand cooking. Those other more fragile oils, better to eat raw. So Such learning as. those basic concepts um, helps the body because digestion is really key. So what we take into our GI tract, into our stomach, if it's not digested properly, those new micronutrients and the nourishment from that food never makes it to the cell. It's a long journey to the cell. Think about it. Mm. I, th I call it the fantastic voyage. Remember the movie with Raquel Welch and the little shrunken scientist? Right in that I was fascinated eye. by that in, in my youth. And I realized that the body, you know, it was a great metaphor. And so when we consume a food, it has to go get digested, then it has to go through the liver's process, the metabolism. That's what metabolism is. The liver goes through this, you know, all of its machinations. And then, only then, do these nutrients that have been prepared go into the bloodstream. And then the bloodstream takes these nutrients and travels these nutrients to every cell of the body. Then the membrane of the cell must accept or reject that micronutrient for those nutrients to go into the cell. That's where the action starts. Because those cells are their adrenal cells, their stomach cells, their blood cells, their head cells, hair cells, fingernail cells. All of those cells are producing our body tissue and our body. So we can also, and I know in, in the medicine that, that I practice, um, we can diagnose the quality of the blood, as it were, the quality of the cells by looking at those kinds of things. Are the nails flaky? Is the hair, not, it doesn't have to fall out, but necessarily is it dry or is it, um, is it lacking luster? Um, does the complexion lack luster? Meaning, are, you know, when you see someone or a newborn baby, you go, oh my goodness, look at those little rosy cheeks. And people would say, as we age, perhaps, or for whatever reason, perhaps not eating properly, we start to get a different kind of hue or a different color. Exactly. And the body sets priorities. So the body will... will maintain health at those priority levels, the glands, the blood, those are the priorities. So the nails, the peripheral, will start to fade, will start to change, and it's not, the upkeep isn't as much of a priority and from the perspective of, of the body. 
So what what happens with um, the? Tell me more about the the good the good fats again, and why uh, what, why would a bad fat be a problem? So the so we're de- defining bad fat as the trans fats and the hydrogenated oils. So is, okay. is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. So the tr- well the trans fats. You hope that they don't get absorbed because they muck up the system. They get they clog up the arterial system and along the way. Um, but it's best to avoid them. So the good ones are coconut oil, olive oil, butter. Butter, hopefully from range, you know, free range animals. Is and we, I just am so excited living in Maine, and I am a Mainer. I went away for twenty years, and now I'm back. That we have quality access to quality food, access to quality protein, quality fats, eggs, eggs, free range eggs with those bright yellow yolks Absolutely. make all the difference in the world. And when you hard boil them, if you hard boil a beautiful farm egg and you hard boil a commercial egg, and you in the commercial egg you see the blue around the outside of the yolk, that's telling. That is not a healthy chicken, and that is not a healthy Why? egg. I think it's just a, you know, an accumulation of that toxic matter that you know oh exists in in that in that egg from that chicken. That's that's incredible. Well, yeah. th- this is uh, for those who just tuned in. I'm Rhonda Feynman, your host today, and uh, this is Healthy Options on WERU Community Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Judy Valentine, nutritional analyst and nutritional consultant, and we've just learned something very interesting about commercial eggs and that blue hue, maybe being probably. Most definitely being uh, some sort of toxic residue. So, again, people in their kitchens going, oh, no, I guess I should buy those farm fresh eggs. Those Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, of course, that farm fresh egg is going to contain the nutrients based on the diet of the chickens. So, and not only that, I mean, we are talking about the body here, but what about the mind? What about that larger environment that we don't see, that we don't have access to? We sense it, we feel it. Some people are more sensitive than others. But those chickens living in conditions uh, in the commercial farms aren't happy. And you, you know, it's hard to put a, 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 um, a, a value on that, but it has an impact. I love to quote Bruce Lipton, who's a cellular biologist. Um, we see through our cells. You know, the cells see what we see, and that's true about all animals and, and humans as well. So other fats would be quality, yogurt, kefir. In Maine, we, can, we have raw milk here. Mm-hmm. When I lived in D.C. and Maryland, I couldn't wait to get back to Maine so I could get my hands on quality um, well, raw milk. Why is that important? Why is – Well, you... it's it just – And I think in terms of processing, how little has something been processed? So if you have a cow that is, you know, allowed to eat free range, a dairy cow, and it has a, you know, it's joyful life, so to speak. Um, I'm anthropomorphizing, I know, but uh, we do that, (laughs) don't we? And, and this cow, you know, gives us its milk. And from this milk, we take this perfectly balanced milk product that we haven't converted into low fat skim whatever. And I, we could do another whole program on that and why I feel that whole milk is really the way we should go because of that balance. Milk has a proper balance of, of carb, sugar, milk, sugar, protein, and fat. And why change that? That's the way Mother Nature is provided. Well, some people might say that that's for baby cows. Why is that good for human beings? Well, humans, some, many humans do have a, a problem with cow's milk. 
And there are a lot of reasons for that, a lot of different reasons. It could be ancestral. It could be, you know, an, a, a, an allergy that, that was created for whatever reason. Uh, but raw whole milk, fewer people are allergic to raw whole milk. But if there is an allergy, I recommend goat's milk. Goat's milk is much more similar chemically to mother's milk. When you human look at the mother. chemical assay, human mother, when you look at the chemical assay of both, very, very similar. And would you say sheep's milk too? Yeah, sheep's milk the, as well. The molecules are a bit well. The macronutrients, different. that balance of of you know protein, um, car, uh, carb, protein, and fat. I want to say them in the proper order. Uh, is more similar, and also the uh, micronutrient balance. Of course, the micronutrient balance is determined by the quality of the grass. Where's this cow eating, and and what nutrient micronutrients are in the soil that produce the grass where these cows are eating. It's very complicated. And Maine has good soil for the most part. We do. And again, we get to see the whole connection. It's not just about buying good milk. It's about having a good environment, making sure that we're protecting our resources, would, would you say? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sustainable farming is, is key. So we have these uh, ratios of the carbohydrates, carbohydrates, protein, and fats. And in the ideal world, we are eating them in, in a balanced f- form mm-hmm. in every meal. At every meal, right? Are you uh, what? Are you recommending three meals? What's your, or is it different for each individual? How do you manage that? It's different for, for each individual, and the biochemical um, individuality is huge. And some people are grazers. They feel better eating every few hours. Other people, um, you know, and it depends on their metabolic type, but there are, there's one particular metabolic type that can go a very long time without eating. And what that means is they're really good at regulating the energy from the food that they've consumed. The opposite metabolic type, for example, is hungry all the time. They're burning their, the food that they eat very quickly and need to eat more often. So it really depends on the person. I think most people have an intuitive sense of how often um, they should eat, well, perhaps. I, but perhaps, too, I think there's the misguided, perhaps, I will mm-hmm. use the misguided word, this idea of weight gain and how we need to stay thin, so, uh, perhaps some women, some men, too, um, the, the idea that we better not eat because then we'll, we'll get fat or we won't be a certain weight or a certain idealized version of what exactly. we think we should be. And that's a case of the intellectual overruling, perhaps the innate understanding of oneself. But um, I have seen that, that, you know, people, well, you're bringing up some, something that I did want to point out today, is a, an imp- the importance of breakfast and why. And so many people who have dieted over the years that I've seen and known um, will skip breakfast or eat a v- really light, not what I call non-nourishing breakfast, and then perhaps have a salad for lunch. And then, of course, by then, they're, they're in starvation mode and, you know, a big dinner at, in the evening when the body isn't at a, at a high burning level or capacity to burn as quickly. So I, I like to walk people through this example. We wake up in the morning, say, you know, six or seven o'clock in the morning. We haven't eaten for how many hours. We haven't eaten for 10 or 12 hours. Um, the body needs fuel at that point. The body, the machine is looking at us saying, and I use the, put the word machine in italics, but the machine is saying, I haven't had fuel. My blood, we need to re- refuel the blood. Let's, you know, 
give me some food is what it's saying. But there's a pattern that's been established of not eating. So it, it's, you know, pushed down. Then we have very light bre- breakfast that's non-nourishing. So now we've continued the fast, really, for all intents and pur- purposes. And then we have a kind of a salad or a diet type lunch. And now we're continuing the fast. And we've gone by dinner almost 24 hours, ha- you know, really, truly starving the body. So it may seem counterintuitive, but I really promote a good, healthy breakfast of, of all three, you know, at that point, carb, protein, fat. And, that, and, and what that does is it helps with cravings at the end of the day. And that's where cravings come from, because the, the machine is saying to you, give me food. And then there can be a lot of eating throughout the evening to make up. And and so then there's the the choices of food. And I wanted to um, talk about that a a little bit. So someone can be under stress and become an overeater. And we want to talk about that. But people can be under stress and also go into starvation mode. You've heard of people who, I'm not a stress eater. I'm having a huge crisis. I've stopped eating. I've lost 20 pounds in two weeks or something quite dramatic. Um, what are, what are both of those extremes doing to the body? How do we how do we work with that from a nutritional standpoint? That that is probably one of the key challenges for people. And I'm glad you brought up the the you know a lot people think about the overeater, but not a lot of people think about the the broken hearted undereater. We'll say, and and they are. But I think in some ways that is as much of a challenge. Uh, as the overeater, but they're both patterns that that have been established. What do we do about it? It just it depends. It depends on the person, and you know, it's. I think that I've had better um, results talking and working with the overeater than with the undereater. Someone has a broken heart. It's it's really hard to, um, from my point of view. Um, help them understand how important nutrition is, especially now. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, and I would probably refer and work with together with with a psychologist and something like that. Right. Yeah. So what happens in stress? What what nutrients are are depleted? What happens when people are overwrought about uh, uh, something, a personal life, world event, something? Well, that's really a fascinating topic. And uh, that whole fight or flight mode that people get into. And it is a limbic response. The, the, the fight or flight came from the days when we were living in the cave, so to speak. And, um, uh, you know, the woolly bear comes to the to the door of the cave, we go into fight or flight, and we can run or fight. And But the body goes into this really complex response, alert system. So a lot of the blood goes away from the digestive system to the muscles, um, to the brain, so that we can think, we can run. And in today's day, we don't have the woolly bear, but we have the metaphoric woolly bear, you know. And, and so when the body goes into fight or flight, and that's sustained over a long period of time, the adrenals become exhausted. And the other thing that happens is the body uses a lot of those micronutrients I was talking about to keep us in that alert state all the time. So stress depletes all nutrients. So the micronutrients, again, for people who just tuned in, we're talking about vitamins and minerals. B vitamins, particularly. So the fight or flight will use a lot of B vitamins um, to keep that 
you know, energy level high. Uh, the cell uses a lot of B vitamins for energy production. Um, trace minerals, which is another important reason for, you know, being watching the kind of salt we eat. Celtic salt hasn't been processed to the point where all the, the trace minerals are gone. And trace minerals are transport molecules in, you know, in the energy production systems of the body. And so, and, and, the, and the larger minerals too, magnesium particularly, a lot of people have magnesium deficiencies today. So, you know, putting some Celtic salt on our food or even drinking salt water. Uh, people who have adrenal function dysfunction, I will recommend the old-fashioned European remedy of, of sea salt. You have to be careful of your quality of salt. Maine salt is really excellent. And to taste, you put it in warm water to taste, and it really is a, a wonderful boon for the adrenal glands. So we, we need to take that in for a moment, mm. Judy, because, uh, of course, with heart disease, people are talking about low salt diets, but what we're talking about is a different kind of quality of salt. Exactly. And that's an excellent point because the discernment, um, the typical commercial salts have been so highly processed, as is most of our food today, that the trace minerals are gone. So seawater, seawater is very similar chemically to our, the, the fluids in our body. And so Celtic salt maintains that, that chemical assay balance of all the appropriate um, minerals and, and trace minerals in, in the correct balances or similar balances to our body fluids. So if we're eating, if we're eating commercial salts, then we're missing those, those trace minerals. And we're creating an, an imbalance, a mineral imbalance in our system. So it's a simple thing to do to just replace our salt with with Celtic salt or or Maine sea salt, and um, it you know it's just such a tiny thing. People don't realize how important those trace minerals are. So that would be for someone in adrenal meaning that everyone. they don't have uh, for everyone for everyone to replace their salt. And if you have stress and, and adrenal fatigue, then to drink the the salt water. And it's easy enough to do. You just I start with about a quarter teaspoon of, of the salt in, say, four or five ounces of, of room temperature water, dissolve the salt, and then taste it. And it really needs to taste good. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is satisfying. This tastes really good. Or this is too salty. Then that's too much. Or I don't really taste anything. Then that wouldn't be enough. So our tongue tells us how much our body needs. So uh, these, so that's the, the salt, and you're getting all the micro minerals. Because it's in the salt. Right. So we don't necessarily need, what else would we use for minerals? Let me rephrase that question. Well, foods are high in minerals, depending, you know, plants, depending on the, on the earth that they come from, were, were, was, the, was the ground nutrient rich? It's just very, you know, diverse. Coming so, back to basics. So, yeah. So what are we, how are we fertilizing our, our earth? Are we using manures and, and, and sea vegetables to, to fertilize? Uh, or are we using, you know, commercial fertilizers that don't have that perfect mineral balance? Seafood is high in minerals. So you, yeah, there's a lot of mineral sources out there, but then there are a lot of foods that are deficient in specific minerals. Such as? Processed foods. Processed foods are deficient. And there are areas around the country that, that are tremendously deficient in selenium. And there's a correlation there between cancer and, and selenium deficiency. What is selenium? What is that? It's a mineral, and it's found in the soil, and it's found in the ocean. And it's, it's important. It's, it's an antioxidant, actually, um, in the body. 
So that means that it takes away toxins or what's what's an what's anti- the me- oh yeah. the, an antioxidant and and so I want to differentiate between plant antioxidants and human made antioxidants. So plant antioxidants are there to keep bugs away and keep plant diseases away, right? So yes. that's why the plant has created these antioxidants. So this this is part of the plant's immune system. So when we consume the plant, we benefit from those antioxidants because we're consuming the plant that has them and it helps it supports our own immune system function. On the other hand, because we are at the top of the food chain, our cells produce our own antioxidants. Of course, you would expect that it would. And so are we, are we you know, um, creating a cellular situation in our own body where we're not producing those antioxidants? That's where cell death can occur and cell signaling. The cells will signal to the immune system, okay, let's say we have a bad cell and it's become over, over time, uh, you know, worse and worse. And this cell needs to be eliminated. A healthy function would be for that cell to, to signal the immune system to kill off that cell. It's called apoptosis. And a healthy immune system would kill off that cell and then the other healthy cells will fill in that, that tissue area with, with the health, healthier versions. If that cell is so bogged down and it's not functioning properly, then it can't s- signal its cell death. And it's continuing to replicate as a bad, unhealthy cell. And eventually, more and more cells become bad and unhealthy and then we have disease. Antioxidants. We will come back to that. I just wanted to remind people who just tuned in that you are tuned to WERU Community Radio. This is the Healthy Options Program, and I'm Rhonda Feynman. And today's guest is Dr. Judy Valentine, and we're discussing nutrition and healthy cells. And now we're uh, in that wonderful world of antioxidants, which think about it, that image that you've just created, and I think our minds are so important in this idea of when you're eating, it's, it's the idea of, oh, I'm, look, I'm taking in all of these minerals. Oh, look how wonderful. I'm, I'm now going to be cleansing my body and, and giving my body support. So when we talk about antioxidants and the idea of cells signaling, oh, I'm, there's something wrong here. I, you have to let this go. And, and, um, we can do that in our own bodies. And there are some different ideas about whether we should supplement that idea. What what is the version between doing it in a a, a man-made way or doing it through our food? Do Do you have an opinion on that? I do. I do. Of course, a perfect diet would be the ideal because food is what we have been used to consuming for micronutrients for, you know, what, millions of years? It depends on what, you know, how long you think we've been at it. But for a very, very long time. So that's what our tissue cells are used to. Are we getting the, the appropriate amount of food uh, to, to for the ideal healthy cell? And I love the picture that you paint of looking at our plate and, and just having gratitude. Wow. And we want to have a diversity of color on our plate because the vegetables, the, all of these colors represent different micronutrients. And so are we, do we have the diversity in our diet of a lot of different plant foods? You asked earlier, is any one better you know, than, than the other? No, we need the diversity. We need the diversity of colors and that's a good way of looking at it. And also the, the diversity of the macronutrients on our plate. But that mindset of saying, oh, I'm feeding my cells, my cell, you know, happy cells. I want my cells to be happy because if the cells are happy and high functioning, then 
what? Then the rest, then we have a happy, high-functioning body. And so, um, I just so I, what was so, your question? I'm just no, picturing no, the happy self. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're eating your meal, sitting in your car, driving to your yes. next meeting, Maybe not so happy cells, or it maybe could be. Happy. It can be. It doesn't happy have cells. to be. And when I worked in D.C., there were a lot of these challenges. People getting up at four thirty in the morning with their families, traveling from Virginia to Washington, um, trying to eat healthy. And I called it healthy eating on the run. So you pre-prepare. You have your hard-boiled eggs. You have your carrot sticks and and your ranch dressing. You have you know whatever you can create from a whole food source that you can take with you and make it and create a wonderful picnic. And yeah, it does take thought. It does take time, but hey, my cells are worth it. I really want to live a high-quality, long life, and uh, and you know, some people don't though. So I can't inter, you know, put you know, superimpose my thinking onto others. But most people do, and um, giving giving it some think, some thought ahead, and you know, looking at our food in our pantry and saying, how much processing has this food gone through that I have here in my in my kitchen or my refrigerator in my, in my pantry? How close to the, its source is it? it? Used to be called the Yogi Bear Diet. You know, how close to our source can can we get with the food that's in our pantry? And if it's in the pantry and in the refrigerator, then we grab it, we throw it together, and it's so much easier to have on hand. So. Getting back to the antioxidant question, is it appropriate to take antioxidants as a supplement? W- would that be a good idea, or is that something? It, does it suppress our own ability to create antioxidants? I've it's- given that a lot of thought, and I've written articles on it. And I, I basically think that that most people would benefit from a high quality uh, supplement, multivitamin mineral product. Of course, you have to be careful about what you purchase because, like the food industry, the vitamin industry has a lot of junk and a lot of poor quality products. And and getting guidance on that, I think, is is really important. Even health food stores don't always have the best quality supplements. But what I do is look at people's blood labs, and then I can determine, you know. What their their deficiencies are to a to high level, not you know to into infinity, but to a very high level so level of what the needs can, are, and make recommendations. You can check that yes. in the blood. You can see what I, your. I've been trained. Yeah, are. it's a different training than mainstream medicine, but I've been trained to look at um, nutrient deficiencies by based on the the blood markers, a typical you know comprehensive metabolic or a complete blood count, um, you know. But, I, you know, key B vitamins are really key. Vitamin D is key. Essential fatty acids from a good quality source, extremely key. Those are three, you know, B vitamins, vitamin D, uh, essential fatty acids are it, three that really, really important. Yes, that's fish oil. Uh-huh. So we, we were discussing... Or krill. Krill is another oh. source. Oh. That that's what the fish eat to get their DHA, EPA levels. Ah. Krill. I was, I was, yes, that's a wonderful word and a wonderful, I I think of lobsters when, because of their, their whole system being uh, aerated through Mm -hmm. the krill. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Well, it's it's K-R-I-L-L. Yes. So we discussed uh, the importance of a healthy breakfast. Yes. So protein, the same ratio. The same ratio. So if we're having a a quality cereal, um, I I don't actually recommend dry cereals because they pretty much convert to sugar in the bloodstream right away. And they're high. It's a highly processed, you know, it's taking a grain and then turning it into a, you know, kind of a cardboard fix. 
But um, a good quality oatmeal, you know, have some kind of protein or healthy and or healthy fat with that. A uh, piece of cheese, uh, if you're a vegetarian, um, you know, a, a turkey sausage that's been naturally raised with it and a little side of fruit. I also recommend one simple thing that is easy to remember. Have something raw with every meal. Having something raw with every meal is a minimally processed food that's high in nutrients that you can have with every meal. Maybe it's a tomato. Maybe it's some avocado. It's a salad. It's a piece of fruit, hopefully from good sources. But that, you know, you're getting a surge of antioxidants from from those plants yourself. So what about vegetables? Do you broccoli? Those kinds of things. That's really hard to digest. And it is for some people. And, you know, cooking helps, absolutely. Light cooking. Steaming. It, yeah, steaming. But if a person has upper GI Lunch. inflammation, then I'm going to say cook it, cook it longer and not eat raw food. So it's not have that right. scratchy, you know, fiber going, going against the – and you talk about times of stress. People hold their stress in different places. A lot of people hold their stress in their GI tract, their stomach. I see a lot of people with upper GI pain and, and inflammation, maybe even to the point of ulcers. And that's a different kind of diet. That's a baby food diet of – pureed and, you know, avoiding raw and avoiding nuts and anything that's going to irritate, like a broom, the brush of a broom going across some inflamed membrane. Uh, It's really important to be careful during times of stress. So you want to uh, do things that will keep the digestive system nice and and, and healthy and and, uh, healing any kind of sores. Healing, exactly. Yes. What what about um, things like acid reflux for some people? How how do you treat that? As a, I mean, obviously, an individual case. It can be it can be treated. Well, I don't treat because medical doctors treat. So I have to be careful of my language. But I can recommend um, dietary changes with acid reflux. Often will help that person. Uh, And and there are supplement formulas that also help with. Uh, you know, upper GI. And that's what you're getting into what a naturopath would know or a a properly trained nutritionist would know about those various herbal formulations. And you know about this, Rhonda, uh, that can help people with upper GI issues. And, you know, leaky gut, all of that you can get into. Well, that's a different program, which we certainly have done. And if you can look in the archives for some of those shows, we've done very specific uh, work with, uh, with people treating that. Um, I was just uh, curious about um, about how one how you would approach uh, the differences. And what you've said is that each case is an individual case in terms of how you look at your diet. But what stays similar is you still need to get the micronutrients. You do. You still need to be sure that you're absorbing and and doing things to help that absorption and. W- and, and even with someone who's had upper GI, what I call it, total breakdown, um, you can puree foods. You can make, create a nutritious meal by steaming or boiling, you know, nutritious food and then putting it in um, a blender and breaking it down for them. It's kind of a pre-digested thing. And shakes, you know, high-quality shakes. And, and a lot of people drink smoothies, and I really highly recommend to add a good quality protein powder to that so you're not getting all that sugar, you know, into the bloodstream. You want to put, you know, and adding a little bit of avocado or adding, adding um, a, a quality oil to it puts in the fat. You can really balance a meal quite well by, um, making, you know, creating a, a smoothie. What kind of things, uh, so the the stress 
overeater, the, the craving for the processed foods or the what we think of them as comfort foods. Yeah, some of them. Mm-hmm. But are, they're not really comfortable foods, are they? <laughs> but they do satisfy something if, if that's the way you go when you're under stress. What what is the other aspect of that carbohydrate? Is it damping down our emotions? What 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 happens from your perspective as a nutritionist? With it is a damping down, and it's it's shifting from a thoughtful or mindful choice of food to kind of an emotional response, unconscious choice. And we've all done it. You know, it's just, just look at that half a bag of chips or that bag of chips. And what have I, you know, what have I done? Uh, one of the, the keys, I think, is that healthy breakfast. And when we eat a healthy breakfast, if we're running around all day hungry, because we've eaten that sparse breakfast and we've eaten that sparse lunch and, we, and we've gone 24 hours without fueling the body, then there's going to be more of a temptation before we even think about we've reached for that comfort food, then we perhaps have remorse after. So that healthy breakfast helps change, you know, begin to shift that. And it may not happen all at once that first day, but a week of healthy breakfast, we find that our choices later in the day are quite different because we're not literally starving. Think about that. Let's just take a moment to think about our healthy breakfast. What do you recommend for lunch? What's a good lunch for you? If it it can vary, obviously it depends on people. Some people are at work. I have the the wonderful luxury now of being able to prepare my lunch at home most days, and it can be something left over from the night before. I always encourage people when they're cooking a healthy dinner to cook extra, so they have that to bring to work for lunch, or they you can pre- prepare at home. Um, if a person is having a salad, make sure that we have a quality fat and quality protein in the salad. I love Mediterranean salads for that because you can get the feta and the olives and the avocado. You know, I always th- add yes. avocado to a lot of things. It's really a magical food because it provides that fat that so, so many people are not getting because we're fat phobic in this country. So it is a good fat, guys. And, um, and you know, olives are also a good fat choice. And nut butters. Some people are allergic to peanut butter, but there are some great almond butters out there that what, we can choose. Yeah, I was wanted to talk about nuts. Can you? Um, is that that's a good source in your salad as well, or do you think? What do you think about nuts as, in general? If the person like almonds, is, has walnut. a good, healthy GI tract, yeah, nuts. Adding nuts to a salad, excellent. Pecans, walnuts, yes, really, really almonds. wonderful thing. What What about roasting them? What, what do you have a, an opinion about? Well, if you want to be ideal, um, and for utmost digestive capacity, uh, we should roast our nuts. <laughs> what I do is I p- spread them out. I can buy raw, you know, pecans or walnuts are delicious to do this way. Almonds, spread them out on a cookie sheet, put them in the oven overnight at a very, very low, the lowest mm-hmm. setting, 150 or just slightly below 200, and um, let them cook overnight. Excuse me. And what that's done is that's begun to break down that fiber that so many people have a hard time with, mm. with nuts. We, we do it in our toaster oven. Mm-hmm. We put it in and, and put it on bake or roast. And no, we don't need to add anything. You don't need to put oils on you it. You don't that's, need to add anything. Count. You just let them roast and... Um, and they are so delicious. They are you, very You really sweet. don't want to go back yes. <laughs> once you've done that. Absolutely. And it's a great thing to do over the holidays. That's a, a good option. When yes, you're, it is. Yeah. And that's a great snack when you're feeling that urge for a comfort food. 
I would say have it with an apple or a piece of fruit or, you know, make you, it a good meal. Do you, well, you can have a raw apple. What do you think about cooking your fruit, baking a, uh, an apple, a pear? I, yeah, I say do both. And again, if a person has upper GI, GI tract issues, to cook food, you know, everything uh, until that settles down. But, and apples are one of the, the most highly sprayed foods. So I hope that the audience, this audience probably knows about the Dirty Dozen, and you can actually get an app on your phone for when you're grocery shopping. You can touch this app and see what the 12 most highly sprayed foods, and then they go all the way down to 50. So you can see the highly sprayed foods, and they change a little bit from year to year, but blueberries are highly, highly sprayed. Apples are highly sprayed. Uh, pineapples, not so. So, you know, if you're choosing between organic and not organic, then a, a, a non-organic pineapple would be an okay choice because they're not typically highly sprayed foods. But blueberries and apples, I would recommend buying organic. And we have such So the apple industry here. is going to come after me now, but... Well, it's, uh, it's, it's your opinion, and that's fine. <laughs> so you're listening to the Healthy Options radio program on WERU Radio. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman, and our guest today is Dr. Judy Valentine, a nutritional analyst, a nutritional consultant, and we are discussing how to eat well, all the time, but uh, some ideas about during uh, stressful times uh, of keeping your cells very, very uh, healthy and keeping yourself healthy and vibrant. I was just thinking of another great snack, too, to either make your own applesauce or buy organic applesauce and throwing in a tablespoon of almond butter or a tablespoon of peanut butter and stirring that up. is a, it, It's quite satisfying and is a healthy snack for when you maybe are going to reach for you know, that donut or, or some other food that's not as nutritious. I have to say, I'm getting very hungry. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody out there is. So pull over, get over to the co-op or <laughs> some grocery store and pick up your apples right now, but make sure that they're not sprayed. <laughs> okay. Um, that's, that's a great idea. And we can make those holi- foods, holiday foods with that kind of thing as well, can't yes, we? Yes, we can. So um, if you're – would you recommend having a a bigger lunch than a a bigger dinner? What's your opinion about since it's the end of the day or for a lot of people? Or is there a time – in Chinese medicine, we say don't eat after 7 o'clock. Yes, and and I actually agree with that. I I move it a little later um, after 8 o'clock. And there was a couple of studies done on Alzheimer's, actually the reversal of Alzheimer's using human patients. And one of their recommendations is to not eat after 8 o'clock. And one of the reasons for that is the body detoxes at night. And the cerebral spinal fluid flows through the brain and removes plaque from from the brain at night. And of course, you have to be in good deep sleep for that to happen. Sleep is an issue for a lot of people, I realize. But eight to nine hours of sleep is what they recommend and not not eating any food after eight o'clock. Well, think about it. If we haven't had a good breakfast and a quality lunch, regardless of the size, and a lot of people like a snack around three o'clock, 3.30, which is fine, you know, good quality, healthy snack, then then you don't feel so compelled to eat after eight o'clock at night. Your blood sugar is going to be balanced for the duration, hopefully. So a big meal at night would interfere with that detoxing and interfere with that that, um, cerebral uh, spinal fluid regeneration. 
Well, it depends. I mean, what is the definition of big? So, you know, overeating for anyone is, is going to put stress on the digestive system. And one thing I learned uh, in my training is that digestion uses more er- energy than birthing a baby. So you've got all, that's why you have so much blood going to the digestive tract. So you look at the anatomy of the digestive system and the liver and the digestive system. There's a lot of blood there and a lot of nerve, nerve endings there. And, and, and so a lot of, it takes a lot of energy to digest, particularly if we're eating foods that are basically indigestible. So if we're eating these plastic trans fats and we're eating foods that, um, you know, are highly processed, the body is really strained in its energy. So if, if the body, if that energy is being, you know, uh, diverted from the detox and the cleansing and the, the cleansing of the brain uh, overnight, then, you know, we don't, we, you know, the toxins build up over time. We were talking about, uh, okay, the, the really healthy, good quality breakfast to sustain you, the good quality lunch to sustain you. And we're talking about fats. Can we, even of the good fats, can we, uh, how do we do proportions? Can we can have too much, too much coconut oil, perhaps? I mean, how do we do that kind of balancing? Yeah, that's a great question. How much? And that and that's where people get confused, I think. I like to look at serving sizes on the labels of, of the product that I'm using. So, um, you know, uh, olive oil, for example, one, one to two tablespoons would be a good serving size, along with uh, some other fat source in, in the meal, whether it's... Um, you know, um, a little bit of cheese or, or um, olives or, you know, in a salad or, or say, feta cheese in a salad or um, what are some of the good fat sources? Butter, um, avocados, you know, I, I just think that's just, just such a great, easy thing to add to food. Fish, salmon is high in fat. So that, I don't know if you notice, but I notice if I have salmon at dinner, I don't feel particularly hungry for the rest of the night because that Yes. Fat need has been satiated, so those fish that that are that are high in fat are really helpful in in that way. Yeah, reading reading the labels is is and you know and they kind of ruin the label. Sometimes I teach classes on label reading because a lot of people resist looking at the labels. It seems so confusing, but if you just look at the serving size and and the recommended serving, it's a lot of good information that a lot of people overlook. So. Um in terms of then people have been cooking with coconut oil, this has become – a lot of my clients come in and talk about coconut oil all the time. Can you overdo? overdo? Sure. You can overdo fat if you've gone over that, that you know, say 25 to 35 percent uh, at a serving. I think most coconut oil – Bottles of coconut oil or cans of, of coconut cream, which I'm a huge fan of. You can get them at Trader Joe's. They're really, <laughs> really wonderful. I, that'll probably get wiped out. But um, yeah, coconut cream. But a serving size of fat would be one or two tablespoons, you know, in a serving. And you see that on, on the so, label. So people because are really eating much more. I think so. A serving size of peanut butter or almond butter would be two tablespoons. So really, it's, it says right on the label. Yeah, two no. tablespoons is a serving. So yeah, it's easy to overeat fats. Nuts, a serving of nuts would be a quarter of a cup. And by the way, each nut should be individually chewed down to a liquid pulp. So that exercises chewing. the mouth. Yeah, chewing is the start of digestion. Digestion starts in the mouth. So if we haven't properly chewed our food, by the time it goes into the stomach, it's behind the curve already in the in the digestive, um, you know, linear 
uh, function of things. So no gulping. No. Come it's on, not people. as healthy. That's what they say, right? They, those people. Yeah, the nebulous us, they. The, the, they. So, and that is, goes back to that whole idea of mindful eating. And I, I use that as a, a, a kind of a generic uh, <laughs> term. The idea of taking time to eat quietly, if you can, or even if you're not, being careful uh, then being being aware of of chewing even if you're in a rush it's a great a great thing to teach yourself and if you have kids at home you can you know do it at the dinner table and just mom you did you did five chews instead of 25 you know and you can kind of keep each other going but chewing burns calories it begins digestion and it exercises the jaw and the and the mouth. You know, a lot of people have TMJ and other other issues, clenching. So yeah, chewing is good for for a lot of reasons, and it brings mindfulness. And it's how we get all those micronutrients, and right. and how we can actually start absorbing everything that we need to absorb in uh, in the um, in our bodies. Well. I think we could just go on and on. We I could. feel like uh, like we're just t- you know the tip of the iceberg, but I think it's been uh, really important for everyone to uh, to pick up some of those uh, great ideas of of how to balance those carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, and uh, start uh, dealing with eating well and and uh, being able to metabolize our our uh, our food and our lives. I want to thank you for tuning in to Healthy Options today and thank Dr. Judy Valentine for being on the show today. And if, is there a way for people to reach you as, as, if they have questions? Probably through my email would be best, and it's doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-J-A-V at AOL.com. And I also have a website, judithvalentine.com. Okay. And um, this will be, uh, I want to thank uh, Petra Hall for her production assistance. And as always, to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. And if you missed any part of this program, you can find it along with other Healthy Options programs on the Public Affairs Archives at WERU.org. And it also will be streamed online on WEUR for two weeks shortly after the show. I'm Rhonda Feynman. Thank you for listening and joining us. And I'm wishing you the best for your health. Thank you, Rhonda.